Hello everyone, welcome to the Archicast. This is episode 21, Art, Reality and Sensuality by Mark Rothko. The Artist's Reality, Philosophies of Art by Mark Rothko. Edited and with an introduction by Christopher Rothko, his son. One of the most important artists of the 20th century, Matt Rothko, born 1903 and died in 1970, created a new and impassionate form of abstract painting over the course of his career. Rothko also wrote a number of essays and critical reviews during his lifetime, adding his thoughtful, intelligent and opinionated voice to the debates of the contemporary art world. Although the artist never published a book of his varied and complex views, his hairs indicate that he occasionally spoke of the existence of such a manuscript to friends and colleagues, stored in a warehouse since the artist's death more than 30 years ago, this extraordinary manuscript, titled The Artist's Reality, is now being published for the first time. Probably written around 1940-41, this revelatory book discusses Rothko's idea on the modern art world, art history, myth, beauty, the challenges of being an artist in society, the true nature of American art, and much more. The artist's reality also includes an introduction by Christopher Rothko, the artist's son, who describes the discovery of the manuscript and the complicated and fascinating process of bringing the manuscript to publication. The introduction is illustrated with a small selection of relevant examples of the artist's own work, as well as with a reproduction of a page from the actual manuscript. The artist's reality will be a classic text for years to come, offering insight into both the work and the artistic philosophies of his great great painter. And so I would like to share with you uh, one specific um, part of a chapter called Art, Reality and Sensuality that really um, tells a lot about um, Rodko's views into this um, manuscript. We know very much from um, kind of the ideas he was uh, sharing publicly also uh, through um, collaboration, um, discussions, uh, kind of uh, philosophical activism with some of his uh, contemporaries. But in this manuscript there are many insights revealed. Art, Reality and Sensuality by Mark Rodko Artists' pigments, like printers, inks, have many uses apart from the creation of art. The advertising artist, the illustrator, the portraitist, the stylist, and the decorator all employ the plastic and pictorial devices of the artist. Their yet chief preoccupation, the purpose and function of their effort, is other than the creation of art. It is the commercial artist's job 
to enhance the desirability of marketable goods. The illustrator bias with the written world in the description of places or facts and the reporting of events. The portraitist must flatter his patron, while the stylist and decorator adorn his figure, streamline his gadgets and embellish his property. There may be a resemblance to the outward appearance of art, but the intrinsic relationship is no closer here than that which exists between the composition of birthday greetings, recipes or advertising copy and the creations of the poet though the identical phrase and syntax may be used in both. No doubt, the confusion between art and that which merely resembles it, it is eternal as the effort to distinguish between the two. The painter and the poet must always suffer its untoward effects. Yet, in the case of the painter, there is an element which aggravates this confusion, from which the poet is comparatively free. This element is the ambiguous character of the world art itself, which is legitimately applied to any kind of skill. We have therefore the art of love, the art of war, as well as the art of cooking. But in common usage it describes particularly the skill of manipulating plastic materials to pictorial and decorative ends. Hence, while the reporter is seldom confounded with the poet, the illustrator, the decorator, the innumerable others, name or unnamed above, are all properly alluded to as artists. The house painter and the hat trimmer too, whose fee is sufficiently high, share this appellation. This common participation in the trinity of line, form and color has founded a promiscuous fellowship which, while promoting the respect for skill, promotes to a far greater degree the misunderstanding of art. For skill in itself is but a sleight of hand. In a work of art one does not measure its extent but counts himself happiest when he is unaware of its existence and in the contemplation of the result. Among those who decorate our banks and hotels, who will find many who can imitate the manner of any master, living or dead, far better than the master could imitate himself. But they have no more knowledge of his soul than they have knowledge of their own. We all know how little skill avails, how ineffective are in its artifices in filling the lack of true artistic motivation. His less is more in Robert Browning's famous evaluation of these problems is comparing the imperfections of Raphael's art to the impeccability of Del Sartos. I should rather say that it will be more difficult to improve the mind of the master who makes such mistakes than to repair the work he has spoiled. Leonardo wrote, neither Giotto nor Goya exhibited half the skill of a Correggio or Sargent, 
either in the complexity of their undertaking or their apparent virtuosity of execution. The artist must have the particular skill to achieve his particular ends. If he has more, we are fortunate, but not to know it, for the exhibition of this excess would only mar his arts. You may be sure that the artist whose method is uh, muddled betrays less his technical inadequacy than the incoherence of his own intentions. This brief statement by no means exhausts the discussion of skill, the whole question of what constitutes skill and what does not, the difference between surface and expressive skill, and the fascinating relationship between method and concept will be fully discussed in another place. This can be better resolved when we have further explained the purpose of the art with which its method is inextrinsically allied. Our intention here is to show how short is the reach of skill and to what lengths one can be misled by appealing art through this common similarity. To understand either art or commercial art, we must penetrate the mind of their creators. Any parallels or classifications which can be useful in understanding these forms must discard this kinship of material and method and seek instead the motivations and objectives in their creation. The vernacular, too, aims vaguely at this distinction by drawing the jack line of differentiation between the fine and the applied arts. From the viewpoint of mind and purpose, no one resembles the artist less than those others who share these devices. The art of the advertising artist can be understood only by the study of the mind of the salesman. The aim of each is to sell his respective uh, product by exaggerating its virtues and suppressing its defects. The illustrator will find his soul made in the news reporter or the tabloid photographer. The verisimilitude of the descriptions uh, will depend upon what happens real to his employer. The fashionable portrait painter is closest to the courtly flatterers whose hypocrisy is the ladder to material success, while the man who contrived his pictures so they look well above of sofa, as well as the decorator and stylist share the intentions of the confessioner, whose function is to season luxury with the pleasures of the senses. We are here neither to moralize nor to segregate art into levels of value, each do his own work and maybe he do it well and derive the rewards which he prizes most. But we must look elsewhere if we are to find the analogies in human action to enlighten us concerning the activities of the artist. It is the poet and philosopher who provide a community of objectives in which the artist participates. Their chief preoccupation, like the artist, is the expression in concrete form of their notion of reality. Like him, 
they deal with the verities of time and space, life and death, and the heights of exaltation as well as the depths of despair. The preoccupation with these eternal problems creates a common ground which transcends the disparity in the means used to achieve them. And it is in the language of the philosopher and poet, or, for that matter, of other arts which share the same objective, that we must speak if we are to establish some verbal equivalent of the significance of art. Let us not for a moment conceive that the language of one is interchangeable with that of the other, that one can duplicate the sense of a picture by the sense of words and sounds, or that one can translate the truths of words by means of pictorial delineations. Not at all the odds of Pindar, framed and embroidered, could duplicate the portrait by Appel's brush of the hero of the Palaestra. The pandemonium of uh, Milton's of Dante's Inferno can never replace the vision of the Last Judgment by either Michelangelo or Signorelli. No one, so than the pastoral symphony of Beethoven, can be apprehended through the reading of idyllic poems augmented by descriptions of woodlands and fields and torrents and streams, the study of orthological sounds and the laws of harmonics. Neither books on jurisprudence nor costume plants can possibly reconstruct Raphael's school of Athens. And the man who knows a book or a picture through its critics, whatever his experience, has no experience of the art itself. The truth, the reality of each, is confined within its own boundaries and must be perceived in terms of the means generic to itself. In speaking of art here, there is no thought of recreating the experience of the picture. If we compare one art to another, it is not with the intention of contrasting their actuality, but to speak rather of the motivations and properties such as are admissible to the world of verbal ideas. And if in the analogies to follow we are partial to the philosopher and the expense of those others who share with the artist his common objectives, it is not because we divine in his effort a greater uh, sympathy to that of the artist, but because philosophy shares with art its preoccupation with ideas in the terms of logic. This is The Artist's Reality, Philosophies of Art by Mark Rothko, edited by Christopher Rothko, here in Archicast 21. We'll be back with more from Rothko, with more from uh, the Demenils, more from um, Philip Johnson, and all the contemporaries in art and architecture from uh, Mark Rothko, spectacular artist that has illuminated, of course, humanity in this uh, last century and it's very actual uh, to this very specific uh, time uh, this 20 year uh, 2020 
that is coming to an end, a very special year, uh, we will reflect upon uh, the meaning of um, this conclusion maybe in the next episodes. If you are interested in any particular uh, chapters of the books we've been presented, the artists we've been discussing here and his particular work, uh, write to us. All um, the contacts are in the notes of the podcast. This is Archicast and this is a channel for communication, a channel for exchanging ideas around the definition of art as the quality of communication. From Andrisa, Switzerland, this is Oski Daniel for Archicast. See you next time.